Hey there, we're the West Slab Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well guys, we got a lot to talk about today from uh, football season winding up, um, obviously the the Mick McCall firing and the subsequent uh, hunt for the new offensive coordinator. Um, basketball, both men's and women's, <clears throat> definitely something to discuss. But uh, b- before we dive into that, um, something came across our radar today. Uh, thanks to Ella Brockway for, for tweeting this. And this is really, really cool and something that um, I, I know we, we all uh, definitely want to mention. And that's this new uh, initiative that Northwestern is doing. It's called the Champions for Wildcat Women Initiative, and you know they're re- they're trying to uh, and succeeding in uh, k- uh, increasing the amount of donations to women's sports. And this year, uh, financial support for women's programs is up forty percent over last year, which is amazing. And you know they. This is just such a really good and worthwhile program, and I'm so glad that uh, Northwestern is doing it. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, we've we've been talking a lot about the lacrosse team for for the years that we've been doing this podcast. We've been focusing more and more on women's basketball and softball over the last couple of years. I mean, I I, I think this is fantastic. I think um, you know, th- this has nothing to do with it, but we all have daughters, and and I think yep. we all see our 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 kids um boys or girls you know sam you have one of each uh just, just like i do uh playing sports as they grow up and and support for sports no matter the gender is really really important um you know that that was tr- that was true before i had kids uh it's it's true now and it's it's just it, it's exciting to see northwestern putting a foot forward um supporting this i think you know, the, the, there's kind of a fortuitous um, date that kind of lines up here, and that's uh, we've already mentioned it briefly on the podcast previously, but on January 30th, um, some friends of the pod, not because they're friends of the pod, but people that we are friends with through the pod, are organizing um, a big uh, gathering of, of as of as many Northwestern fans as possible to show up for the women's basketball game against, uh, I believe it's Michigan on on the night of January 30th. So that dovetails nicely. It's the weekend before. Um, they're doing this champions uh, for Wildcat Women weekend weekend summit. The day, the day before, yeah, the day yeah. the day before. So that's really really exciting. Um, almost almost like a little bit of a kickoff uh, going in, into into some of the the fun and celebration here for uh, for women's sports and for this effort to support women's sports. Um, which again, I just I think I think it's spectacular. Absolutely, and you know, I'm married to a former Northwestern female athlete of note. Uh, my wife was a very good fencer at Northwestern. And, you know, so it's obviously like we, our family really appreciates initiatives like this for that reason, beyond everything that you guys already said. One thing that it's also kind of, I I like also too, is if we talk about Jim Phillips for a second, and I think where his headspace has got to have been at this fall, right? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, when it comes to revenue sports, this has been a very difficult fall for Jim. Um, Everything that's happened with the football program, obviously he had to be a driving decision in the McCall firing, which we're going to be getting to in a second, etc. But this really demonstrates, and I, I also, again, 
I don't mean to take something that is clearly so like female driven and at, like should be, and then be talking about a man in charge. Like I, I get that that's a bad look, but my my point here is that this demonstrates on his part a clarity of thinking across all of the sports and not just getting pulled into football slash basketball, which has been a rough road lately. Um, and I think, again, this was launched in September, and it shows that his brain is really in the right place in being a part of this from a perspective of, like, if you're looking at the overall Northwestern Athletics program right now, women's sports are where the bread is buttered. What, like, I don't know if this many women's sports have ever been this strong. I can't even remember. Like, we were just kind of ticking off, like... You can just go down the line, like field hockey, major success, women's soccer, some recent major success, women's basketball, NIT run, obviously lacrosse, obviously softball, obviously tennis, fencing, golf. These are perennially strong sports. There, That's so many programs that are operating at a top level right now. And again, it's like this kind of initiative should come at, you know, like should obviously like is needed all the time but it is a way to step back and be like look we shouldn't get too too focused on football slash basketball men's football men's basketball because across the whole breadth of this athletic program right now um there have never been more sports particularly women's sports that are that are deserving of our attention and deserving of our financial support so again yeah it's again I, I give Phillips credit here. Obviously, credit should go far beyond him to all of the great female alums and and people who are a part of this initiative. But it's awesome to see. Yeah, I mean, we talk. You talk about this uh, this weekend, and you've got you know, amazing speakers. Um, Wendy Nelson, former Northwestern uh, athlete and current trustee, who's She's doing this generous uh, gift matching challenge um, for this program. So she's going to be there speaking. Uh, you've got Christine Brennan, who's going to be there. Patty Phillips, Katrina Adams. And uh, uh, you got Kelly Monte-Hiller, Tracy Fuchs, uh, field hockey coach, Kate Drohan, softball coach. I mean, all, all of these coaches and uh, the players are going to be there. It, it's going to be an amazing weekend. And I, you know, head over to nusports.com and it's the headline on there right now. Check it out. Uh, if you're able to to donate to this, this is a very very worthy cause. Absolutely, and and let me just add again, and I I sort of already said it, but donating to this cause is a way of acknowledging that really going back to last spring, women's sports have helped really get all of us diehard Northwestern sports fans through. Um, at times when there wasn't success in a lot of the places we wanted there to be. There have been a lot of women's sports with a lot of excellence. And I mean, for, for us personally, right, it goes back to the women's NIT run at a time when there was nothing else really going on and how that shifted into just the emergence of Danielle Williams. And then you go right into this season when like football was going so bad, but we could at least say, hey, like look at um, field hockey, who was so strong at the start of the year. Um, and again, it's like, that matters, and it matters when these programs are there to pick us up, and it matters to be strong across men's and women's sports as often as possible, and here's a chance to support that. Uh, donate. 
Well, just speaking from a fan's perspective, like these teams are fun to watch. Like <laughs> Lindsey Pulliam is well, a was, is a joy to watch play basketball. I was, I was gonna say, Linz, watching Lindsey Pulliam crush opposing spirit. Oh is... my god, it, it's spectacular. Um, wa- watching the, 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 the lacrosse team is. I mean, p- people talk about men's basketball and men's football because they are revenue driving sports. They 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 attract the most fans. Um, and they're really exciting, and we we love it. Like we're we're junkies, right? Um, but. Th- Women's sport has gotten more and more entertaining. Um, it is a ton of fun to watch and follow these teams. Uh, you know, we, you have to do it from afar sometimes because it's not on um, the most accessible cable stations or broadcasts. Sometimes you're watching on, on your phone or a tablet or whatever, but these teams are fun to watch. And that, that, is, that is a huge portion of why, why you should support them because, you know, we want to watch them. That the, the 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 purpose of, of these teams is is to drive eyeballs uh, for the university and and give these student athletes an opportunity to play. And without eyeballs and financial support, they don't get that opportunity. So um, this is a this is like a win 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 situation. Uh, speaking of winning, um, you know, as, as we do transition to football, um, hey, we kept the hat for the for the fifth year in a row. Uh, kind of putting a nice little finishing touch to a is otherwise just a, a forgettable season. Um, you know, Northwestern takes down Illinois 29 to 10. I mean, this was just an utter dismantling. And, you know, I, I, I know there were a bunch of people, you know, as, as this game was going on is like, well, is this offensive output that we're seeing today? Is this running attack going to be enough to save Mick McCall's job? No, it wasn't. And, and we'll, we'll get to that. But, uh, I br- briefly, I might just I might mention you know I I really wanted to start the show with uh, Handel's Messiah, um, but y'all you know we are we aren't we are a secular podcast so probably better to stick with our usual entrance music. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, yeah, it's funny like the way Sam said that like there there were a lot of people being like, is is this going to be enough to save Mick McCall's job? Oh my like, God. Oh my it was God. like, the, it was the way that that was out on the internet. I mean, and that was where we had all gotten to that. I think that that was that idea that, that, it, that we, that it, there was the belief that it wasn't going to happen until it happened. But anyway, we'll get to that. Um, yeah, I, again, Illinois sucks. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I mean, just Justin Jackson summed it up best. He was like, even you know, I, I'm paraphrasing. Oh god! Even, was... even in this god awful year, we still beat Illinois, and it was like, yeah, there's not a guy on Illinois' team, fifth year seniors. They've all five losses to the Cats, and that's great. It's like, um, it is. But Illinois, we talked before, and again, we we've all been so, driven into so much malaise apathy call it what you want to call it this season that you can get disconnected from things that that it's it's easy to mention all the things we mentioned about illinois last week um that's you know scuzz talked about it number one turnover differential in the country this team has had a horseshoe stuffed up their proverbial butt this entire season but with everything we've had to deal with it's so easy to be like yeah 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 but that's not going to matter against us but it did they're not a good football team. This is a team that should be right now probably four and eight and solidly not bowling. But thanks to a fantastic run of luck, they are going to go bowling. But this team against any team that could run the ball were just plowed over. 
And if your reaction to that is, yeah, but like we had Coco Azimo and Raymond Nero out there, uh, it's the same as UMass. Illinois' defense is horrific against the run. Any team that could run against them piled up yards against them this season, and we were no different. And for me, that starts with the offensive line. And it really is important, and we talked about this um, texting after this game, right, that it's like, Now's the time to be like, shouts to Jared Thomas, A, leader of this unit, for, despite everything else that happened with this offense, helping to make this offensive line better week to week to week, which they were. And second, Jared Thomas is the only guy leaving this unit this year. And a group of hog mollies, coached very well by Kurt Anderson this season, will return four starters, um, and a ton of exciting young talent is in the pipeline. So, again, yeah, they Illinois was a paper tiger all season with unbelievable luck who can't defend against the run, and our hog mollies just mowed them down, and we had a day. Well, there's there's another there's another element to that, and that's, you know, Andrew Marty. And we, we talked about um, Andrew Marty versus the Gopher and how, you know, surprisingly decent he looked uh, against Minnesota and then in this game like interestingly he was really not allowed to throw the ball very much um he did have one pretty rough interception um but he carried the ball 30 times he gained over 100 yards but 30 carries for a quarterback I mean frankly he's not on the same talent level but I've it, it was like watching Jalen Hurts in Oklahoma um and just the way that Jalen Hurts is that offense. Andrew Marty was the offense. He set the tone. He lowered his head and his shoulders on designed runs over and over and over and over again. Um, and, you know, scored those two touchdowns early. Uh, Coco Azima started ripping off big runs. Uh, like, like these things are all related, right? Like, we really wore down Illinois. Um, but... Man, the, the the physical toll, and we were joking during the game, right? Like, I think, John, you said something to the effect of uh, McCall might be leaving, but he's like, I'm taking Marty's corpse with me. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the physical toll that, that that this quarterback put on himself in this game was, was huge. And um, I think, like, it's... It's funny because in the moment, right, we're all we're all excited that we're beating Illinois. We're we're cheering for this. We're we're excited for this quarterback, and the, and, the, and there is that kind of nagging thing in the back of our minds of like, oh man, like this is this is both like a symptom of the horribleness of the McCall era, um, vis a vis like the the unwillingness to throw, um, and yet it also feels good to stuff the ball down Illinois' throat and what the hell does this mean for next year and what's going to happen with the OC position? Like it just, it was like a, a, a torrent of, of conflicting emotions all at the same time. But um, in the end, it all kind of worked out. Right. And, and again, then that's, it all, it all worked out. And this is the kind of thing where this is a legitimate thing to be able to hang this season on. I mean, we still are the better team than Illinois and yes, they're going to a bowl game, but whatever the streak lives on. And because of things that I think we're about to spend a lot of time dwelling on, um, hopefully we can get to a place where we can really keep continuing that streak. Well, John, you John, you 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 did mention like Illinois should be four and eight because they got two miracle wins against M- Michigan State and Wisconsin. You could also make an argument that in a in, in a you know barely alternate universe, Northwestern is five and seven. 
uh, given that we really should have beaten both Purdue and Nebraska. Right. And again, and you know, for, for everything else, I think there will be ample time to discuss, okay, Marty's performance the past couple games. What does that mean? What is the quarterback situation going to look like? The emergence of a guy, a nominal safety, right? Coco Azima, um, who let's be honest, looked good running the ball oh man Um, yeah yeah it was illinois but he's fast and he likes to hit and again that was stuff that was on tape when he was a safety um, shades of tyrell sutton honestly right um and you know like you know we should remind ourselves like coco azima really big recruit pick northwestern over texas and stanford and he's from texas um and that rarely if ever that kind of situation rarely if ever happens we just figured that he'd be a really big safety for us again these are all questions so like what does this all mean for the running back depth chart what does this all mean for the quarterback depth chart how is this all going to be sorted out you know by whoever's like we have all off season to deal with these questions but i think probably we we ought to pivot to the you know the big the biggest question answered and then you know the related question that's being asked right now can I just toss out a little bag of a pirate booty before we get there? And that's and Do that's to the front seven of the defense because while Illinois sucks defensively and uh, you know let anyone who, with with a with a running game you know run roughshod over them, what they were able to do most of this season uh, was effectively run the ball on other teams. And Northwestern's front seven said no, uh, emphatically. Gaziano had a great game. Um, you you saw. Uh, you, you saw the linebackers, Bryce Gallagher, uh, played really well. Trent Gones had a fantastic game. Yeah. Um, I, like, I said Bryce Gallagher. I meant Blake Gallagher. Um, although Bryce did have a tackle, the the younger brother. So I just, like, like Northwestern's defense um, shut down what was a legit Big Ten attack. Now, they didn't have their starting QB. They were with some dude named Matt Robinson who I'd never heard of. Um, but still, their, 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 their running game averaged a half yard. We and we talked too about the strain this defense has been under all season, trying to carry all the water, and how you know it showed against Minnesota. They got it together and finished in a big way. And Hell these yeah. guys deserve these guys deserve all the credit in the world. This defense was a talented unit that was just thrown into the buzzsaw, and you know through it all they came out with a major win and a dominating performance, like you said, against our rival. And what's uh, another just. Final final thing to talk about. I mean, you, you know, the defense played outstandingly, and they were only on the field for eighteen minutes. So, you know, they, yeah, helps <laughs> that that helps right. a lot. I mean, we talked a lot about time of possession this season and how our defense was just getting gassed at the end of the games because they were on the field the entire time because you know we were just three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. It's uh, it's nice when the shoe's on the other foot. Um, but, you know, the reason that the offense had been going three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out all season long uh, is now no longer the offensive coordinator for Northwestern. Um, you know, Mick McCall was let go on Sunday. I, I I think Fitz did the right thing in not saying anything about it on Saturday, like right after the game. It's like, we're going to celebrate, you know, the, the seniors. This is their final game. We just beat Illinois for the fifth uh, fifth time in a row. We're going to, you know, we'll worry about everything else later. Now is about, you know, these guys. And then early in the day on Sunday, you know, the, the announcement came out to nobody's surprise. Um, but I, I think just a giant sigh of relief. 
uh, was led out by all Northwestern faithful. Um, real quick before, before we dive all the way in, you know, I've got nothing against Mick McCall as a person. I wish him nothing but the best, you know, moving forward, you know, it just, it was, it was time. It was, it was time to go. We, we've talked, been talking about that for a while and, and it was time. Uh, the, there's, there could be nothing more clear than that he had to, I mean, it's, it's funny listening to other, you know, podcasts or media outlets out there that, that, that on occasion talk about Northwestern, you know, with, the, with the national media and, and in a, in a season like this, Northwestern doesn't get much attention, but you know, you, you hear uh, like the solid verbal as they're going through, you know, one of their, um, one of their games are talking about, you know, teams that are, that are, that are Dunsky or, or whatever. And, and Northwestern came up and they're like, look, like they're fine. They just need a new offensive coordinator. Like they, like they, everything has gone really stale. Um, they're, they're not, operating a modern offense, et cetera. So, I mean, this, this is, this is a pretty accepted perspective nationally that this was the thing that had to change. And, um, it, it finally did. It's, it's interesting thinking back on the last eight years because, you know, McCall did have some moments, right? Like, you know, I, inside NU had a, had a nice article kind of lauding, um, you know, when he started with, with the team and how well his system, you know, worked with Persa and then, um, the, the, that Coulter Simeon year in 2012, it, it, that's, you know, the highest mark that it hit from like a, like a national statistics standpoint. But even then, you know, some of the games we've seen against Michigan state during the Clayton, Thor- Clayton Thorson era, um, you know, a couple of, of barn burners against, uh, Ohio state and uh, you know, that, that, that game at Notre Dame, um, in, in 2014, like Mick had some high, some high mark moments. Um, this team won a lot of games with him at the helm of the offense, but, uh, yeah, there, there, there could be no clearer signal, um, at the end of the season that, then that a change had to be made, um, for, for all the reasons we've been talking about for the last, I mean, frankly, seven years, but, um, <laughs> especially the last eight months. And, and for those of you who haven't, who haven't been with us, like, if you, if you feel like it, go back and listen to some of our podcasts from 2013 and 2014. Like we've been calling for this change for almost six years, seven years. I mean, I, I, again, it's like, this is, this is a good, it's a good thing for the program for sure. And I, you know, it's, it's just hard because we've, we've been beaten up by this for a while as fans. I mean, we really have, this is a guy who should have been let go um, after the 2014 season and was not. And since then has had for the past five years on average, the 97th best unit in the country in total offense. Um, And again, and it's when you see that kind of thing, Wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat. You can't blame people for up into midway through the Illinois game convincing themselves that he's not going to be let go. Um, because, again, there was the feeling that if it was going to happen, it would have happened a long time ago. And there were fans, Northwestern fans, who truly believed it was never going to happen. And you can't really blame them for feeling that way. Um, but regardless, it did happen. And... It really does matter. I hope, I, you know, Scuzz alluded to it, but I hope for all you guys who have listened to the pod and everything and all you're saying, yeah, but like, look at where the quarterback situation is. Look at where the running back situation is, etc. Do not underestimate the positive nature that a change is going to bring to this program. We've seen it happen. You could go all the way back to the first Mike Hankowitz year 
Mike Hankwitz replacing Greg Colby, the change was immediate and dynamic. The like the defense improved something like seventy positions in one year. I mean, we went from being a flat out horrible defense to a great defense in one year. Like these kind of things are possible just with a new mind and new ideas. I'm not promising that level of success. I'm saying this will be a big deal. And I want to specifically credit, you know, Fitz, but Jim Phillips for ensuring and, and just the understanding on everyone's part that this needed to happen now. And that I think we were all worried that are we going to be dragging our feet? Is this going to be something where I'm getting like my season ticket renewal emails and there hasn't been a decision made here? And, you know, my just it's just getting my goat even more that none of that happened. This was done. Bang, bang. OK, um, and now it's to the point where, you know, offensive coordinators all over the country, et cetera. Um, Northwestern is right in the hunt for all of these guys. It's not a situation where like the carousel is passing us by. Um, you know, Northwestern's right there. And this was, again, it was long overdue. Um, five years, I would say, is more than fair to say it was overdue. But when it was done, it was done right. It was done quickly. Uh, as you said, it wasn't done immediately after the game. It was done on Sunday. Um, that was the right time to do it. And now we can go forward and, and you know, forward with a real sense of hope well when, when you're hearing us you know say like five years seven years and and, and if and if anybody out there's kind of like well guys what are you talking about we won 10 10 games all those seasons i mean we you know yeah there's there's no way that that mccall was going to be relieved or anybody really was going to be relieved of their duties after northwestern won the big 10 west and and i mean frankly nor should they be right like we we weren't calling for this at the end of last year we we're saying man like we we wish they would do some things differently, and but we know it's not going to change unless they have a horrible season. And guess what? They had a horrible season. What's what I'm really happy that Northwestern has avoided because this this was like borderline happening back in in 2013, 2014. I don't, I don't know if, if if folks recall, like Teddy Greenstein had a a very like I mean he he, ba- he basically went and spoke with Jim Phillips, interviewed him, and they had an article like right after the season ended and they announced everybody was coming back and, and the, the tenor and tone of it was like, what gives man, you guys have, have sucked for two years. It's pretty clear what's wrong. Like what gives? And Phillips was like, absolutely. There's accountability. You know, we've all talked about it. This is not an acceptable level of, of performance for Northwestern, for this program, for anything like it has to change. Like, like results have to change next year. Or there will be changes. I mean, I don't know those were his exact words, but it's basically that, what he that was said. definitely the implication. Yeah, it, it was, and it was clear. It was not like a subtle implication. It was very, very clear. And then, well, then, and then you know, Clayton Tharson showed up. Um, Jackson hit his stride. Uh, Anthony Walker and the defense emerged um, at, at a championship caliber, and this team was able to do so much for for so long. And so, so I, I just, I think it's important to to to, to understand, like it's. You know, it would have been weird for for them to can Mick after winning the big the Big Ten Ten championship and I don't and I, or Big West championship. I don't think they should have. But this, like you're right, John. This was the exact right time. And if and if you look at what's going on at USC right now, where they just announced they're retaining Clay Helton and the fan base is up in arms. People are screaming and saying they're canceling their season tickets and who knows how many people actually go through with that. But I'm glad Northwestern has kind of avoided like a public disaster like that. I was well. I like this argument you're making because. It is the best argument in favor of us having this bad season that we mm-hmm, had. Mm-hmm. Because 
I'll be more than happy to make the argument that Mick McCall should have been fired during any of the last five seasons when we won a bunch of games. <laughs> I will I will go toe-to-toe with you for hours on how we would have won more games uh, had we had another replacement. But as we, you said, that was never going to happen. We'd all have um, a lot more years on our life. That's for sure. Um and and to your point, like it was going to take a season like this to happen, and now we all sucked it up. We all dealt with this season, and now it's happened, and now we can go forward. So, so speaking of going forward, should we talk about like the immediate aftermath and some of the player departures, or should we talk about uh, the replacement? Well, seeing as well, so, the, so the, it's all the, kind of in flux, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean the, the replacement. You know, we're we're hearing. Uh, Louis Vicaire is reporting on Thursday night as we record that uh, we're down to a final four. Obviously, there's no more information on that. But um, I wouldn't be surprised to hear something happen maybe right after championship week. Maybe. I don't know. I'm I'm totally guessing here. But I I think before we start speculating, we've done a lot of speculation. uh, We we should probably talk about the the immediate aftermath. Um, You know, we... Number of players kind of came out and said, you know, about time. Thank goodness. Um, Solomon Vault, you know, pretty much came out and, and, and said that and got a lot of fire back at him. And, you know, I, I don't really understand why people are firing back at him. You know, this guy's got every, every right to say, you know, I think this is something that needed to happen a long time ago. And, you know, people say, well, why didn't you say something then? That, that's not the time to say it. I mean, you can't. Like as a student, you can't be firing off at the coaches to the media. That's just that it, it just can't do that. Yeah. Did, I, did he I really get, get a lot of like blowback though? He got some. Yeah. He got some from know. Big McCall's son-in-law, but <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I it's just one of those things where the I don't know the. I have a problem with the idea that there is like a code where like. Like players, even former players, just can't and shouldn't say anything at any time. To me, that starts veering into like shut up and dribble territory, and it's like I don't know. It's a it's a bad look for me. Um, I will say, and again, and and we've talked about this, and you can go a couple of different ways, but it's like you know Solomon Vault, example of a guy two all time, two time All Big Ten return man. Um. So you're talking about an all Big Ten caliber player, less than 650 career combined receiving and rushing yards. And I know, you know, we've, if you go back years, we've talked about that, you know, Solomon had issues, route running, catching balls, etc. But you're talking about an unbelievably dynamic athlete, right? And you go back to the Purdue game a couple weeks ago with David Bell, and we talked about juxtaposing David Bell and their ability to scheme him versus our ability to scheme Kyrick McGowan, etc. Um you can see why a guy like Vault would have bitterness. Um, and again, I think I tend to look at this and I, I think I'm sure he's had plenty of discussions with other players. Lord knows we've had discussions with former players, right? That range from like unsatisfied to deeply unsatisfied with the direction that the offense is going. And, you know, I, I think it's on one hand, you want to be like, it is really incredible uh, and and a testament to the character of these guys that through all of this things haven't been said publicly 
But at the same time, that immediately transitioned to making it seem like when a guy like Vault does say something, he's like breaking the line. And I don't, I don't feel good about that either. Um, I think these are guys who did not get paid to play this game, you know, who did not get paid. Um, and you know, it's, it's just one of those things where it's like, you've got a guy making a comment, um, who really made, depending on your view, either $0 or $60,000 a year to be an all big 10 football player, making a single tweet about a guy who made millions coaching. Um, and you know, the juxtaposing the performance of the two individuals, there's not even really too much juxtaposing you can do. So again, I, it's, I, I get it. I respect all the guys who haven't said anything. I think that's a testament to to the character of the guys, former and current, in this program. Great, but I am certainly not going to hold it against a guy like Vault uh, if he makes a tweet like that um, one time. Like I'm just not. I and I, I hope people aren't. I mean, the only place I saw a mention, I think there was there was um, maybe an article or two that kind of kind of suggested they didn't they didn't like that he spoke up. I mean, I. I would I would ask those those article writers why you know why Flynn Nagel gets a pass and uh, Solomon Vault doesn't um, you know Dan Purse is someone who's been pretty outspoken about you know the offensive direction and, and was so on this program um, last year before before they kind of turned things around so I, like I I, I I haven't seen like the big blowback to Vault and maybe there's been more of it that I'm aware of but um, yeah I mean dude, dude is well within his rights to say that and something was going to bubble over somewhere like these guys are not (laughs) perfect and now i'm sure vault and and everybody else is you know we all at this point want to move on it's like we're we're ready so so as we move on i mean what do we think i mean what what you know if, if the cares report that uh down to a final four you know, you can kind of extrapolate that, that pretty much rules out Mike Kafka. You know, if we're yep. if we're looking to make something move quickly, <laughs> yeah. we're not. You know, the, the I, Chiefs I, are I playing mean, into Jim. So, uh, two points shocking. we made a while back, like he was already eliminated. I mean, like, he was just right. Like, do you think they sent it? Do you think they like sent him an email and were like, just to let you know, Mike, you are no longer under consideration for our offensive <laughs> coordinator job. <laughs> Don't call us, Mike. We'll call you. <laughs> so so where where do we go? I mean there there hasn't been a I mean hadn't been a ton of movement as as far as you know coaches getting plucked up off of the uh the carousel and you know obviously there's a lot more shoes left to drop as far as coaches getting fired and you know moving happening. I mean we're in the the coaching silly season if you will. Um So 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 let's talk landscape a little bit cuz there are um there are some things going on out there. So there's, um, I think four other teams primarily that are, that are only looking for an offensive coordinator right now, i.e. not, not looking also for a head coach. So university of Texas, North Texas, South Carolina, and then somebody else I'm forgetting. Um, I'm not logged into the athletic right now on my computer, so I can't pull it up super quick, but, um, so there's, there's a handful of teams that are looking for specifically an offensive coordinator. I, you know, I don't know that we're in the, in the same, I don't think we're looking at the same people that Texas is looking at. Um, South Carolina, that's 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 you know maybe a little bit more of a concern in terms of um, of a place that might that might pull somebody. But again, pretty different regions, right? Um, different different styles of play, et cetera. I, the the 
the interesting thing to me is, you know, we talked about a lot of names on, on the last couple podcasts. Um, Will Hall, the offensive coordinator at Tulane. Um, it's notable that, that you mentioned all four schools you just mentioned are Southern schools. Yeah. yeah. That. Well, and I'm about to mention a bunch more, right? Like, so Will Hall, Rhett Lashley at, at SMU, um, Keith Heckendorf at, at Arkansas State. Uh, we talked about um, Kevin Johns, former Northwestern wide receivers co- coach, uh, who's who's an off- who's involved in offensive coordination at Memphis. I think he's a co-OC. Um, uh, uh, Reggiero, the the offensive coordinator at Wake Forest. Um, I like what's interesting is over the over the course of the last week, we've seen head coach openings at Florida State and Ole Miss and Arkansas and Missouri. And there's like a torrent of movement that is probably going to suck the majority of those guys up within it. So like the head coach of Tulane is a candidate at Arkansas. Um, he's probably, he's, he's a candidate at Missouri. If they hire away from Memphis, that like that becomes another possibility. Will Hull might go with him or could end up getting an opportunity to become head coach at Tulane or could go be OC at Memphis or Old Miss, depending who else ends up there. I mean, there's there's a lot of movement in that kind of like middle southwestern uh, SEC territory right now that is going to suck up a lot of the names that we already talked about. So I'll be honest, I'm not I'm not sure. Like Matt Canada is a name that's still sitting out there. Tommy Reese is a name that got floated out by by a couple of different folks. Um, Kevin DeBoer, the the OC at Indiana, is a name that Teddy Greenstein threw out there. And I kind of asked at you know shot back to him on Twitter, like, hey, do you think it's it's plausible that you know a, a guy like DeBoer would would make a lateral move to Northwestern from Indiana? And, and Teddy Greenstein's response, which is interesting, was like, look, North, Northwestern knows they need to make a splash, and they're gonna be, they're gonna they're gonna be willing to pay. Um, to, to get somebody good. And that that's kind of what, what gives me a lot of hope right now and kind of has me excited about what might happen here. It is interesting. And also, you know, this comment that Fitz is saying, right, that he's got – that it's down to four. Well, that's an interesting comment to make in light of this maelstrom that you've just described that's occurring, yeah. right? Yeah. To, to just be able to look into that and be like, it will be one of you four. And, like, the hurricane shouts back, like, I'm a hurricane. <laughs> There's like a mil- There are a million things happening, right? Um, but, you know, if you combine the two things, the sentiment, which, again, is not y- unique to, to Greenstein. I think, like, we're all, like, thinking, okay, yeah, right, like, we do need to make a splash and like Northwestern right knows that they need to go out and make this kind of impact. Well, again, and, and I could be totally off base here, but, but I think if, if you're saying one, we are going to look guys really prioritizing fit and we are going to make those guys offers that they cannot refuse. Then you could start to see how, despite all of this stuff that is going on in the world that Northwestern could be zeroing in on four guys and, and, you know, in my mind, that thinks, all right, so are we talking guys with connections to the program slash guys that are more Midwestern located um, would be those two things, right? So, you know, like a Kevin Johns, we've talked about all the problems that go along with that potential issue, but it still is a possibility. But you talk about Indiana's OC or a Tommy Rees or someone from the MAC, etc. There are a lot of, you could easily say like, okay, despite everything else that goes on, if north if it's northwestern and northwestern with a good package like a lot of those guys could come in and then you know depending on your definition of fit and and we've talked in weeks past about discounting the idea of like look 
it's not going to be academic guys just because it's academic guys from academic schools. Like that can't be the way that you think. But if you are attack, you know, going after a guy from the Ivies or something like that, right? Like a guy like that, like regardless of everything else that's going on, like there is that potential pull, especially if there's a good salary that comes along with it. So again, I don't know. This is just speculation. It could be that despite all this, despite all the Southern jobs, we get Will Hall and, you know, we're all rejoicing, but you know, the it's it's just those are the kind of things where it's like to to be able to make a statement like that and 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 again we're talking about the most cagey clandestine college football coach any of us have ever seen that four <laughs> number maybe something fits pulled right out of his ass and and that it's based on absolutely nothing but but again you know it's it's speculation but if, if I was going to go anywhere I would say it meant something along those lines you you think Steve Adazio <laughs> might uh, be interested in going back to being a OC? Oh, I want no part of that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, again, it was funny. I briefly thought about that just because I was like, uh, I was like, well, you know, he's got a connection to to the Massachusetts area. And then I was like, we don't need Steve Adazio to grab no Massachusetts guys. We're doing that just <laughs> fine. That pipeline is already alive and cooking. I mean, so like there, there have been some former head coaches right that have that have popped up so um the former uh chad morris the former um arkansas head coach was an oc at clemson um was pretty well heralded there's talk that he might end up back at um at clemson if one of their ocs goes somewhere because those guys are hot commodities as well um there's uh graham harrell is floating around the 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 current I, OC. I, I just saw graham harrell oh. interviewed for the unlv job yeah yeah he, i mean he's floating around as, as either he's either going to go be texas as offensive coordinator don't you tease me about graham harrell no, no no he's not coming to northwestern dude he's either going to be <laughs> he's either going to be texas's offensive coordinator or he's going to be a head coach somewhere um mike bobo who has stepped down at at Colorado State, former OC uh, under Nick Saban at Alabama. Again, I don't, I don't know that that's a good fit. I don't know that he's a, he's that great of a coach. Um, I will say, you know, you mentioned the Mac John. Um, there's a there's a couple interesting things there. So so um, Ohio University has the top offense in the Mac uh, per S and P plus. Um, the, their guy has been with Frank Solich since like 2001. Like there's no chance that Tim Albin is coming, is, is leaving Ohio anytime soon. He's probably going to be the new head coach there when someday when, when Frank Solich finally retires, but the number two team in the Mac is Toledo and Brian Wright is their offensive coordinator. They're, 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 yeah, they've got a pretty darn good offense. Um, this is a guy who was with, uh, Florida Atlantic, um, for three years prior to this. So overlapped a little bit with the, um, the infamous Lane Kiffin, um, spent some time at Youngstown state, uh, as far back as I, I guess after Trestle, um, but, uh, has done a pretty good job at, at Toledo this year. Um, I don't, I don't know if there's a lot of other names in the Mac that, that I would think about Buffalo has, has been defense, decent offensively this year. Um, but I, I feel like they've got to go power five, in some way, shape or form with like an experience standpoint. And that, that it keeps leading me back to Matt Canada, Kevin DeBoer, or, um, I mean, I, I, I imagine, especially like go back to the final four thing, right? Like it probably, it's probably not Mike Bobo, right? He stepped down yesterday. Um, 
It's probably not somebody who's who's been involved heavily in anything going on up up until the last couple of weeks. So um, we're t- probably talking to, talking about guys that you know Fitz has had a connection with, whether from from camps, um, who you know have coached with him at at Northwestern's camps or otherwise. Um, you know, there's not a lot of guys that have come from the Fitz coaching tree that I I would think are in position yet to to take on something like this. So I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting. I, I I'm. I'm relatively optimistic, though, that it's a name. It's it's a guy we've either heard of, or when we go look at his resume, we're all going to be like, "Oh, that makes sense." Yeah, I you know obviously the one in-house name that's getting batted about <clears throat> a lot is Louis Ianni, and that one always has seemed weird to me, only because he doesn't have play calling experience. Um, and I'm not saying that position coaches don't move up in that way. Um, and obviously, I'm sure he knows the offense and everything. And, and I do like the idea that, again, despite being a member of the coaching staff, he's a relatively new member of the coaching staff. It's not like he's a Mick McCall disciple or anything. Like, that's not what that's not what his experience is at all. Um, it just would be weird to me that, you know, you're taking a guy who doesn't have offensive coordinator experience and then elevating him to the job within the program. Um, I'm not a big fan of it. Obviously you know what the character of the team would be. And we know Fitz loves a running-oriented team, and Aini is a little bit of a running back whisperer. I mean, it's like the, you know, it's when you consider how bad things have been from an injury perspective, um, you know, doing what he did with Isaiah Bowser. And and again, it's like, you know, I think when he came over, there was a real expectation that we were going to get Jarrell Brock, and, and, and that didn't pan out. But still, you know that the character of the team would be you know, we would most likely recruit the running back position well and try to feature that position as as much as possible. Again, it's not the sexiest thing. My my worry is less about the character of the offense and more about the fact that he just doesn't have experience. So, um, but I think that's the one in-house name. So again, it, it takes you back to Fitz is already zeroed in. Well, it's really easy to zero in early on a guy who's already within the program. But again, this may all be apropos of nothing. But I, that is the one name. Yeah. Well, I, once, I mean, once again, once again, I just want to timestamp this. It's 10.35 p.m. on Thursday. Uh, if something happens between when we hit stop and when this goes up probably <laughs> on Friday, I just want right. to timestamp this. Yeah. I, right. So I'll, I'll say I, I'm – the internal name that that I that would surprise me the least would actually be Matt, Mc, Matt McPherson, um, and I say that because so interestingly McPherson is a, is has always been a defensive guy like he was he played DB he was a DB coach um, before coming to Northwestern and then ended up coaching the running backs um, when he got to Northwestern which is which is interesting shifted over to the shifted back to his kind of a specialty area defensive back um, when Jerry Brown retired. But he's a guy that last year was interviewing for a number of coaching positions um, elsewhere. I think he interviewed for a couple of Mac, uh, either head coach or OC positions. And he's exactly the kind of guy that the Mac is going to try to get because he recruits really well. Yeah. And I like that's, that's the, that's the name internally that I'd be least surprised by. It's also probably the name I'd be least excited about, and that's not about Coach McPherson. It's just I think it's I think it's so important we get some new ideas, new blood, yeah, and, and, and some new blood and some new perspective. And Ayeni at least you know is a guy right Northwestern background, Northwestern pedigree, but spent a lot of time elsewhere um, and at another Power Five program in Iowa State. Like that's to me that's a it's a critical component. We can go back a couple of weeks. We we're talking about what was important to us. Um, in a new offensive coordinator, and that's one of those one of those ingredients. So, 
I do, I do think we need somebody who's got play calling experience, but, um, a Yenny would at least tick a couple of those boxes, which I'm not, I'm not, uh, I wouldn't be disappointed by. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, again, it's like, this is, this is, it's honestly, it's fun. Um, and it's fun to have the spirit of anticipation and wondering how this is all going to pan out and who it's going to be on the heels of just what for all of us was a brutal, brutal season. Like we can't stress to you guys enough. Um, you know, to all of you who have been listening, like having to just recoup on a Tuesday following the week after week after week and go through all these and how rough it was. I mean, it was rough for all you guys, too. You guys all get it. But but having the Illinois game and then having this to be like, oh, this is this is fun. Like, it's fun to see who we're going to get, where are we, you know, yeah. How is this all going to shape out? And like Sam said, it by the time this posts, like we may know. But until then, it it's fun to anticipate. Well, and I, I, it's interesting because obviously we did this back in 2008, right? And we were all pretty excited that um, when they when they finally let Colby go because his his defense had had been very very poor. But um, I don't know. The stakes just seem so much higher now, uh, especially because we win the, we won the Big Ten West last year because the recruiting has improved so much because the defense is so good. Um, like the the right hire here could really could really buoy Northwestern into another kind of you know go- golden set of seasons like we had the last four years. Um, and not that those four years were perfect, but you know double digit wins. Um, what three of the four seasons, right? Yeah. So I, like that's that's wild. It's wild to think about, frankly. There's there's something else that we should talk about too, right? And that's. <clears throat> The, you know, one of the, in addition to just the fact that the fan base really wants to see us make a splash with an offensive coordinator as quick as possible, there are real concrete needs of why you need to be doing this, right? The transfer portal being one of them. Um, And right now, the big name in the transfer portal is Ben Skoranek. And I think we've heard, right? I think people have heard 50-50. People have heard, right? Um... And when I hear 50-50 and I hear transfer portal, I hear he's waiting to see who's coming. Who we're going to bring in. Um, and that makes absolute sense to me. I mean, I, so it's that kind of thing. And then and, – and, and, it, you know, and it's we, like you, you enter the transfer portal to get interest from other schools to see what else is out there. I mean, just right. because you go in the transfer portal does not mean that you're transferring. But, right. you know, so and I mean, he, like, he's absolutely looking around probably taking some calls from other schools and waiting to see uh, what, what we do here. Well, and damn it, right. he should. Yeah. Because you know you yeah. know what happened? He went and talked to some NFL scouts, and they were like, yeah, we don't we don't really know what you are. You might be a wide receiver. You might be a tight end hybrid. Catch some passes. Exactly. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, if I'm Skoranek, I'm like, who's going who's gonna to throw me the ball more than, you know, two times a game on, on a on – a, you know, thirty-yard jump ball pass. Like he, he's he's got some amazing highlights at Northwestern. The Iowa catch last year being top of the list. Um, but he is a target that was underutilized. You cannot argue with that point. And and actually, it's interesting this year when they effectively moved him to super back. Um, and he was kind of the security blanket for Hunter. Hunter, he was actually getting a bit more a bit more run, but it's all underneath stuff like not really showcasing his ability to high point the ball or. Um, contend with physically with defensive backs downfield. So um, 
absolutely Skoranek should be exploring all of his op- options right now. And this is, so I'm going to get dark here a little bit because this is the one, the one thing that, that has been like gnawing at me a little bit all season and, and really over, over the course of the years that we've been complaining about the Mick McCall offense. And I, I think there's stuff that you can very, very clearly and, and, 100% lay at his feet. You know, when that offense goes good, it goes good, right? But when it struggles, he's not good at in-game adjusting. He's not good at plans B and C in the game plan. Um, however, Pat Fitzgerald sets the strategy and the fundamental approach and identity of the football team. And from day one, he has wanted this football team to be a rugged, running, ball control offense. The idea that Northwestern is going to try to field a top 15, um, throw it around the park, run up the score type offense is is just not part of his DNA. And I I think in addition to relieving Mick um, of his duties and, and bringing in somebody who's going to be much more creative, much better at adjusting, much better at developing players, those are all critical components – Fitzgerald needs to step away from the concept of winning every single game by one score. Football has changed. Strategy has changed. You you have to be able to attack on both sides of the ball for 60 minutes. You, You cannot do it for 35 and then go into prevent mode. You, you cannot game plan to win by one score. It's, 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 just not how the game is played anymore and that 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 is a trend that is just going to continue and it's the one thing that gives like in, in no way does that change any of my opinions about about what needed to happen with the offensive coordinator but for Northwestern to really truly be successful with this change there has to be you know a I'm not talking about 180 degrees here I'm talking about like a like a 15 degree pivot on the way we think about um, our identity and our strategy and our game planning um, well, re- I, real quick, I, I just want to interject here. Um, just seeing Bruce Feldman tweeting that uh, Fresno State head coach Jeff, Jeff Tedford is expected to resign due to health reasons. And um, Feldman is saying that uh, DeBoer could probably be a leading candidate to be the new head coach at Fresno State. Oh, wow. Yeah, because he came from there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another one. I was. It's funny. Everything you just said, Scuzz, <clears throat> I was hoping that that was all like an elaborate reverse jinx that for us to get Graham Harrell. <laughs> I was like, Fitz will never hire a guy who throws 95% of the time. It he, will never happen. We will never be an air raid team. Yeah. Um, it's But dovetailing directly with everything that you just said and something that I was kind of thinking about earlier, again – we briefly mentioned it last week. We don't want to talk about it too much because it just sucks so bad. I'm like, what are we going to talk about? The whole Aiden Atkinson situation, right? Um, it's all just awful and horrible. He's not coming here, okay? Like, that's that's the bottom line. Uh, and, and, and and good, right? Like Yeah, I mean, and again, it's like, we don't know what we know. You all know the facts of the case, right? We all know, like, it's it's just horrible. The whole thing is just horrible. And it's one of those things where you want to be like, look, I'm not trying to say it's about football, okay? Because I get it. We all get that the whole situation is is much bigger than football. It totally is. And again, and then there's the whole question of guilt and, and all these things, okay? The reality is he's not coming to Northwestern. And that's 
That ought to about close the page for all of us Northwestern fans on the Aiden Atkinson experience. We need another quarterback now. And whoever this guy is, I mean, whoever the new offensive coordinator is, is really going to have to work to try to sell a quarterback, Northwestern on, uh, I mean, one of these quarterbacks on coming to Northwestern. We've offered two three-star currently committed 2020 quarterbacks. They're both very good. And I don't know what our chance of getting them are, but Tate Roadmaker, who I think is a USF commit, and Mike Wright, who's a UCF commit, um, are both very good quarterbacks, very highly rated. Um, they both have offers from Utah. I think Roadmaker also has an offer, I think, from Virginia Tech. I'm not sure the timeline on those offers, um, because in the case of USF and Rotomaker, um, Charlie Strong was let go there. And I'm really wondering if this is a guy who... His senior tape looked really good. And, you know, if, I mean, because, I mean, not to throw shade at USF, but you're talking about a guy who had a Virginia Tech offer picking USF, and it's kind of like, wow. I mean, it's like Virginia Tech swooping in here. So I'm kind of wondering the timeline is, are there schools, is, is Northwestern not the only school being like, hey, we need a quarterback. We see you're, you potentially might be available. But the, the second part of that, though, is you need an offensive coordinator who can sell one of these guys on the kind of offense that you're going to be running. Um, and that means you need to hire a guy very soon if, if that's going to happen. If you're trying to get one of these two guys to come on an official visit and potentially consider decommitting and going into the Big Ten, you've got to sell them on something. So, well, and, and especially uh, because we got early signing period, uh, coming up in just like a couple weeks. So, like, we, we could be, you know, locking things down and, you know, we're going to need to get on top of this quickly. Uh, just John, just to to touch on your comments about his, he's had kind of a meteoric rise his senior year here. So um, going into his junior year, he was he was a prospect, uh, Rotomaker was who was not rated. Um, by the end of his uh, junior year, he was like at one forty or one thirty eight. So I mean that's that's pretty good, right? He's he's jumped up into the top seventy um, during the course of his his senior year here. So. Um, yeah, he's he's had he's had a pretty huge increase, um, very I'm, very I'm quickly. Just, I'm just looking here. Virginia Tech offered him in November, so right, yeah, this yeah, exactly. A late riser. Yeah. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting what happens. Uh, I think there's a defensive tackle from, um, just as we're on the recruiting front, a defensive tackle who's committed to Vanderbilt that we've that we've been talking to, who's coming for an official visit or just did this past weekend. Um, there's the other quarterback you mentioned. Like it, it's it's worth mentioning because this is one of those things. You know, just coming off, I just went wax poetic about how Fitz needs to pivot a little bit on his offensive philosophy. Um, he's pivoted on his recruiting philosophy, right? I mean, we used to talk about how we weren't going to go up after anybody else's guys, and that's that's changed over time. So um, the man, the man can change. That there's 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 clear indication of that. But uh, I, you know, the one other thing worth saying, and I I worry that this is going to trigger some Northwestern fans because of the experience this season, but. It's a lot easier to get quarterbacks now in the in the era of the transfer portal and of grad transfers than it used to be. So, um, the the you know if we can't get a, get a guy in this class um, who's really good, like that's not the end of the world. Um, there's uh, a ton of players every year that are looking for for another opportunity. So, um, yeah, for what for what's that that's worth? Two has still got at least one year of eligibility left. I think. We can... <laughs> Well, I mean, we've got we've got the, the Hunter Johnson situation that uh, 
you know, our quarterback situation for next year is definitely massive question marks going in. You know, hopefully whoever comes in, we can like put a stop to this, you know, battle and name a starter early so that that guy can get all of the reps either at coming out of spring or early in, in the summer. Uh, cause you know, I, I gotta think like that confusion, that, that flux had to have been an issue that, that bled into the season. There's, there's no way it couldn't have been. Sure. And again, and you know, Hunt, Hunter, Smith, Marty, again, like we've seen surprisingly great things out of Marty and we certainly know what Smith and Johnson could be. So again, I, I read nothing into like anyone's performance. It's it's all totally up in the air. But you're right. Like you need someone new to come in, rate these guys within the concept of of his own system, and create a pecking order, and then go from there. Right. You need stability in as much as you can find it. Hey guys, I, th- I think we do need to talk little hoops, both men's and women's, um, yeah, before we go. Uh, we could we could be waxing poetic about this for quite some time. I'll I'll say this, uh, and I didn't expect to say this, and I'm so happy to to be eating whatever crow. Hoops has earned the right to be talked about. Uh, I am they, like they're out of the dark pit that we were in. They've found something. Yeah, I mean, um, Big Ten ACC Challenge. Both men and women were taking on Boston College. Um, Let's let's start with the ladies because you know we, you know ladies first. Um, Wednesday night beating Boston College sixty six sixty three a back and forth game. Um, yeah, it was Pol- Lindsey Pulliam twenty five points, but Veronica Burton uh, with the with the pretty much ices the game with an amazing steal at the end as, as BC was trying to you know cut you know cut the lead either to one or to tie it, but. Um, Burton gets a steal and, you know, it shuts it down. Amazing game by, by the ladies. Yeah, uh, Lindsay Pulliam was was spectacular in this game. Um, I'm forgetting her first name, but um, Galernick was was also good. She's a, she started to, to kind of uh, – Bertie Galernick, thank you, who's, who's start, kind of starting to emerge this year a little bit as, as just another incredible backcourt player for Northwestern. Um, but – What's interesting, I mean, outside of Pulliam um, and Glernick as well, like the Cats didn't shoot very well in this game, um, and like 30, 37, 38 percent overall. That was below Boston College's forty one percent. Boston College, act, I mean, they're 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 actually a pretty good shooting team. Their their effective um, shooting percentage is is up over fifty four percent. And I, the Cats, I, I don't have that stat on hand, but it seems like the Cats held them. Uh, to that or, or, or a little bit less, um, even though they didn't have the, the best game defensively, um, they, 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 they did, uh, they did force a lot of turnovers, um, 21 turnovers, uh, in, in fact, but, um, gave up a lot of shots. Uh, they got out rebounded by, by quite a bit on both ends of the floor, um, but still found a way to win. And that this, you know, a back and forth game, just a, a, a testament to. Um, I mean, I, I feel like this is the sort of game that that we saw them playing in the NCAA, in the NIT tournament last year. You know, um, 
just trading haymakers uh, at the end of the game, and uh, and they really they they held him off. I think I think a lot of people anticipated that Northwestern would be would would have won this game by you know more easily, um, but still, I, to me, coming off of the DePaul loss, this was this was a great rebound and a great statement um, for for the team, and it really sets them up now. They've got kind of three or four pretty winnable games coming up before um, before Big Ten season starts in earnest in January. Especially, you know, losing by two to DePaul to come back and win a close game. Um, you know, sometimes you, you got to win those close games to really give a team confidence, especially uh, when you're on the wrong side of that. Well, and DePaul is a really good basketball team that is almost certainly going to be in the tournament. This is a team that's six and one. Their only loss was to Oregon State, who I think is like fifth in the nation or something like that, like like a Titanic power. Um and you saw how tight these two teams played each other. I mean, it was a really good game. And I think the answer to the question of who's better, both of those teams are really good. And right, like Scuzz said about the schedule, let's give credit where credit is due to a team, a woman's team that tends to just whoop ass against worse teams, um, significantly worse teams. And it's a pretty clear slate. Dartmouth, UT, Arlington, East Carolina, and Xavier. This is a team that ought to be 10-1. and one entering conference play, which is pretty amazing. Um, 10 and one and ready to do damage in conference is certainly the recipe for uh, an NCAA tournament appearance. So uh, going on to the, the men also beating Boston college, but doing so in a much different fashion. Um, you know, they you know, really just kind of laid it to them. 82 64 uh, breakout game, Miller cop and boo booey. Um, each got 20 points in the game. Uh, Bowie was, was great. I mean, this is, this is a kid who, you know, we were expecting big things from, and you know, he really showed some handle, especially as BC was uh, pressing down the end to try to try to scrape their way back into it. Their, their full court press was, was pretty, uh, pretty staunch, but Bowie did a great job. Uh, breaking that and just led to some wide open, uh, wide open points as, you know, the cats were able to, to keep the lead, uh, and the, keep the, it out of, out of hand. There's some crazy, crazy stat about how Bowie's the first player to do this off the bench, like go eight for nine off the bench, um, in a, in a power five game, um, in years or ever or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, he was, he was unconscious. He, he hit uh, two three pointers. He hit you know he had a few layups to your point, Sam, um, breaking the press, but uh, a number of jumpers as well, and just just looked good all around. Um, he struggled with turnovers. He still had three tur- turnovers in twenty four minutes. Um, so you know something he still needs to work on. But he did get two steals. So like defense is coming along along too. But man, Miller cop uh, four of eight from three point. You know shooting the lights out a little bit. Um, Ryan Young with a lot of easy buckets down low. And, and that's, this is a theme folks. When, when Ryan young gets the ball and gets the opportunity to score down low, um, that generally portends really good things for the cats offense. Uh, when, when we kind of forget that he's there or our first option to get to him doesn't work out. Um, our coaches are struggling to find ways to, uh, to adjust to that in game. Hopefully that changes, um, over time, but, um, that's, He's the real bellwether to me on the team right now is that when Ryan Young is getting the ball and getting up, getting shot opportunities, um, th- that is what is leading to uh, good Northwestern offensive performances. 
I again, I you're absolutely right, and it's so. I mean, amazing and impressive. I tip my hat to, to Collins if, if he's been part of this, and I certainly tip my hat to all of the players because three games into the season, four games into the season, really, and we talked about it at the time. <clears throat> we were talking about the possibility of men's and women, I mean, men's football, and men's basketball combined not winning a game, and we meant it, and that was legit. And football did their part to prevent that from happening. But this is a team that after four games had a not-great-looking win over a horrible Norfolk State team, um, a win against Providence that anyone who watched that game defied basic reason, and then two really bad losses. And from that, the ashes of that, has emerged a team full of young players who are trying to get stuff done and having success. And I think, you know, Pat Spencer really carried the water and was working the two-man game uh, with Young against Bradley. But I think the big thing with with BC is Bowie had been, and you alluded to it, Scuzz, you know, he's been kind of a mess up to the point this season and suddenly emerged in a big way. And we've talked early on in the year that what the hell are we going to do when we get to the Big Ten with all these fantastic athletes and fantastic defensive teams that just press us? And suddenly you see a glimmer of hope where you're like, if Bowie can get it together and be the kind of impact player that he was in the BC game and you pair him with Spencer on the court at the same time, you can break a press with those two guys out there. And again, it's like, Cop has the ability to have these games where he's a real difference maker. Um, again, and it's like we're all always continually waiting for the Pete Nance, you know, who's who you know is capable of being dominant. But this team has young, hungry guys. And, and again, I think one of the big problems, right, was we were like the big problem last year with this team is like there were no guards, like literally no guards. But Bowie with this emergence against BC and you see what Spencer is and it's like, man, if week in to week out you can get a good game out of one or both of those guys, suddenly you start saying, and again, remember, the goal isn't like a tourney berth or anything here, but the I think the prospect of this team being able to win one or multiple Big Ten games is suddenly a real thing. And again, as much as like a week and a half ago, that wasn't true. And I give the team all the credit in the world for making this happen. So, yeah, I mean, before we go, um, we, I guess we would be remiss if we didn't talk about, uh, this weekend's championship week. Uh, you know, you've got a number of, well, a number, all of the, all the conference championship games, uh, coming up uh, Friday and Saturday. Um, you know, the, the the big one, I guess, uh, with the Big Ten is you know with when with 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 Wisconsin going up to uh, to Minnesota and coming back with the axe, uh, they go to take on Ohio State in a rematch. Um, is that this, that's not going to go any differently for them this time as it did last time, right? Nope. Yeah, no, I just, this is, <clears throat> I think they're going to get waxed again. I don't think this is going to be a big surprise. And again, it's like, <clears throat> congratulations for them to for getting the axe. But I 
feel like we're going to end this season still having no idea who the second best team in the Big Ten is. And John, it, it, it's it, it's Wisconsin. It's unequivocally Wisconsin. <laughs> I get. I guess. I, again, it's like how, how can uh, it not be? They yeah, beat, seriously, John. They beat Michigan. They beat Michigan State. They beat Iowa. They beat, they beat no, Minnesota. Beat Minnesota. <laughs> no. Okay. Right. So first half of the sentence. Okay. It's 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 probably Wisconsin, and it just doesn't matter. I mean, it's just like <laughs> yes, the, yeah. That's the, that's fair. That's fair. The gap the gap between first and second in this conference is just Titanic. Yes. This year. Yes. Fair, um, fair point. I will agree with you on that. Yeah. But I, I give credit to the Badgers for, again, if had they not – I mean, it, it's kind of amazing. I will say, I mean, for for all my talk about, you know, their mediocrity and everything, had they not blown that Illinois game, they would be in the CFP discussion right now, yeah. as amazing as that is. Um, but they did blow that game to Illinois. And for all the talk about, oh, that was a crazy game and everything, it's like – yeah, Illinois is god awful. We all saw that this past weekend. Uh, that game should not have been close. Um, yeah, but, I, so. and and you know they've struggled with fumbles throughout the year. Jack Cohn is is serviceable, but is not a great quarterback um, for sure. I, at at the same time, you know they like they really put Minnesota in their place. You know, I think we we had finally come around to like the idea of yeah, all right, Minnesota Minnesota's pretty good. Like. I don't. I don't think any of us still believed that they were going to go in and hammer Wisconsin or anything. Wisconsin's defense really stepped up, and and um, you know they shut down Minnesota's run. It's what we've been kind of waiting for, for someone to do all year. Um, and then uh, you know they they got after Tanner Morgan. He was throwing off his back foot all day. I you know people in Minnesota are complaining about like the play calling and think the coaches got you know out coached and that sort of thing. And I just. I just, I just think Minnesota doesn't have the horses on defense to to stand up to a team like Wisconsin that's a bit more balanced. So, um, you know, it, it is what it is, and um, and yeah, I think we're going to see Ohio State pace them in the Big Ten championship, but I don't know. So, you know, if, if we're looking at the the playoff right now, um, you know, Ohio State at, at one, you've got LSU at two. Uh, Clemson at three, Georgia at four, um, with Utah at five, uh, Oklahoma six, Baylor seven, and Wisconsin eight. Um, I think we could all agree that, you know, some weird, like, well, let, 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 is there a scenario that Wisconsin makes it? Wisconsin beats Ohio State, no. Georgia beats no. LSU. Because L- Georgia L- beats LSU, LSU is still going. All right. So, okay. Um, Wisconsin beats Ohio State. LSU beats Georgia. Clemson loses. Baylor and Oklahoma, the winner of Baylor and Oklahoma would go, and then you're going to have LSU, the Big Twelve winner. Um, Ohio you would State. Need, you or, would need Oregon to beat Utah. Or, well, and I then, guess the question is: Does would Ohio State drop out if they lost to Wisconsin? Probably not. Yeah. I, I mean, like, and and then like, is a is a a ten and eleven and two Oregon team with a close loss to Auburn, um, a better a better playoff team than a than a eleven and two Wisconsin who lost to Illinois? Like, absolutely they are. So Who's, I so so if I can go the other direction down, just like reality lane. Sure. <clears throat> who do you, who do you guys think is the most likely team to be number four? 
I I I have a pretty clear one, but I'm curious to hear. I think it's Utah. It's got to be Utah. If if Utah takes care of businesses against Oregon, but you, how confident are you that they will do that? Fairly confident, extremely. You think they'll like? Apparently, it's going to be a weather game. I think I think Utah is going to hammer Oregon. If if that if they hammer Oregon, it's going to be Utah. I just I have this feeling that. Oklahoma is not going to make the same mistakes twice against Baylor and that Jalen Hurts is going to roll them and they're going to continue the run that they were on at the end of that game. And then I feel like we're going to end up with Oklahoma yeah. that we've been trying to talk. And I'm not saying I want that. I want Utah. Yeah. Um, they do but... get Oklahoma does get CD lamb back in this game too. Um, I think the upshot is that this is the biggest game in Baylor history, right? Um, because are like arguably they've got a shot if they win. It's it's not you know that they don't have complete control, but they've got a shot if they win. They they. I mean, if they if they win and Oregon wins, they're going. Yeah, like that's yeah yeah. Uh, unless Georgia beats LSU in a close one. Um, right, 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 right. But I but I'm also pretty confident LSU beats Georgia. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll we'll see how, how it all you know collapses in on itself. I'd be pretty disappointed if we got a you know a LSU Ohio State Oklahoma Clemson. Um, Redux. Is there any is there any situation where Georgia beats LSU and is it in any way possible for any other team to get in? If Georgia beats Clemson, LSU, I, I'm saying Georgia beats LSU, OSU wins, Clemson wins. Is there any chance? Is there any possible way for any other team to get in in that scenario? Um, it, it depends how Georgia be. I mean, if Georgia just nah, I mean, if Georgia mops if, the like, floor with LSU and Utah mops the floor with Oregon, maybe you could make an argument. But I, I don't see it. I mean, LSU has just been yeah, so good I, all season. There's no way Burn. LSU could lose by a hundred. I don't. Yeah. Burrow's gonna win the Heisman. I just, I don't think there's any way that they don't go through. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I, again, the, the one I want is Utah, the, for sure. I think the other thing worth mentioning, I also think that there's no way in hell that Ed Ogeron allows his team to enter this game against Georgia with anything less than total destruction on their minds. Like, people are talking about, like, oh, yeah, LSU could put out their third stringers and not even bother trying. Like, those people don't know Ed Ogeron. <laughs> there's, no, right. there's no way in hell that that's happening. Like, uh, they are going to be foaming at the mouth. I think. They're, I think. I think they're going to. I don't think Georgia has the firepower to keep up. I think that's going to help simplify things a little bit. I think Baylor and Oklahoma is going to be close, and um, and I think Utah's got what they need to do to, to to knock off Oregon and and move through. So let's let's talk about some uh, some of the Group of Five ones. I think the the biggest one that uh, yeah I, I'd want to talk about is. Quarters five through eight. Exactly. <laughs> Cincinnati, Memphis, round two. I mean, Memphis yeah, really I, I don't know to Cincinnati last week. Yeah, I and I don't think that's changing. I think um I think Memphis is the better team. I also think Cincinnati's about to lose their entire coaching staff. Yeah, I think and credit to Memphis. I mean, this is a team, right, that they're all all they have to do is that and they're going to whatever, Fiesta or whatever the ball Cotton is Bowl, I think. like. Would it be cotton? I think so. Um, so, yeah, obviously this is a, a huge game, titanic game for Memphis, biggest game in program history, really. Um, so, yeah, I think they'll they'll get it done. And if not, it'll be prob it'll be what Boise, right? 
Yeah, it would be. Oh, I mean, uh, no, well, it could be Cincinnati. I mean, I I guess Boise is nineteen, Cincinnati's twenty. So yeah, I guess Boise has the inside track, assuming they beat Hawaii pretty handily, which they'll they'll probably do again. Yeah, that that game is in Boise, so. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, I mean, if Cincinnati beats Memphis, I I think there's a, definitely an argument to to move them ahead of Boise. Yeah, yeah. I I really hope that it's one of those two teams too, just because I feel like <clears throat> they're the AAC was clearly the best Group of Five conference this year, and I think the champion of that conference deserves to represent uh, the conference in one of these big bowls. Is there any reason to spend more than the sentence that I'm that I'm currently speaking about Virginia Clemson? No, no. Okay, no, no. Um, yeah. Although, although, if there's a dream scenario for me vis-a-vis the playoff, um, it starts with Virginia beating Clemson and Clemson dropping out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's gonna be, and then just, just, yeah. If Just I, for I'm, everything Dabo said last week, Skies yeah. is gonna. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna go into it here. But if any, if anybody wants me to rant about Dabo on Twitter, just you know, just just holler. Um, yeah, the, the, there will be plenty of time to rant about Dabo uh, after this week, going into the the bowl season. Um, we'll we'll have we'll have plenty of opportunities. So let's let's save it up for that. Um, Louisiana App State, I, I guess. So here's another one. App State at twenty one. They're they're not yeah. they're not jumping above the AAC winner. No, right? I I don't think so. I don't think so. Even though even though they do have two SEC wins on the year, right, or two ACC wins, I forget uh, who they beat. They oh they two they beat um, UNC and they beat South Carolina. Uh, so they've got an ACC win and an SEC win both on the road. That's pretty compelling. Um, but they lost to Georgia Southern, so. So yeah, that that's uh, that's championship week. Um, obviously, we will uh, talk about the playoff, talk about the bowls. Uh, that'll all be coming up next week and and further. Um, although maybe not next week, as we have a very special guest lined up. Uh, ESPN's Adam Rittenberg is going to be joining us next week. Uh, so we're definitely excited to talk to him about Northwestern and then all things college football uh, as he brings a national perspective to the Cats. And, uh, you know, could probably help us break down kind of the big goings on in college football. So be sure to tune in next week as we uh, talk to Adam Rittenberg. We're definitely excited to have him on. That's going to be fun because either, you know, this coaching hot stove that we're talking about will either be really simmering or have already boiled over by that point. And uh, there's there aren't too many guys with a better grip on college football, especially in the Midwest than Rittenberg. And it'd be great to talk about it with all of them. Talk about all of it with him. Uh, also, we are going. We will have our annual uh, ESPN uh, Bowl Challenge. Uh, keep an eye out on Twitter. Uh, head over to our website, westlawpirates.com. Uh, we'll have all the information on how to sign up there. Join us. It's always a good time. Um, you know, it's, it, it's Bowl Pick'em. It will it'll be confidence like we uh, had been doing in the past. So uh, it's a good time. It's fun. And uh, we'll definitely shout out the winner. Um, whoever it may be. And and last but not least, next week's podcast, I believe, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I'm, I'm pretty confident about this, is... No, you're correct. Effectively, the first... 
will be the first podcast in the 10th year of the Westlot Pirates era. We started this, this, this puppy, um, w- you know, as soon as bowl matchups were announced, previewing the Northwestern Texas Tech, Dallas, I forget who the sponsor was, bowl, um, back was, in 20... 20- uh, the Heart of Dallas Bowl, right? It was Zax- the Heart of Dallas Zaxby's Bowl, that's right. Heart of Dallas Bowl? Zaxby's. Yeah, back in 2010. Um, and we, we essentially previewed that, you know, the second week of November, or of December, uh, right after conference championships and after all the bowl matchups were, were announced, that was the start of our of our little pod and um yeah this will be our this will be our 10th year um which is pretty freaking awesome absolutely ah well um with that i guess we should go ahead and leave it there for tonight Uh, head to our website westlawpirates.com where you can leave comments and questions find us on facebook twitter and instagram at westlawpirates and you can always email the show westlawpirates at gmail.com Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the west lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe and Eric Skazby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.